Welcome to Those Hard Conversations, a platform dedicated to discussing solutions to the issues facing our most vulnerable and marginalized communities. We use a harm reduction approach to explore practical strategies for positive change in communities facing undeniable challenges. Hello, everyone, and once again, uh, welcome to those hard conversations. I'm Elvis Rosado. I'm Clayton Ruley. So, self care, a, a term or a word that gets thrown around a lot, or gets used a lot. Um, what's your What's your thought on that, Clayton? Uh, I think self care is a really important notion. I think that it's been abused as a term in the last. Uh, you know, I would say five to 10 years uh, in a lot of cases to be an easy opportunity to check out at times uh, when things get, you know, increasingly challenging. So I think that there needs to be a a bounce on self-care, but I certainly think that self-care is important. So it's like I have a love hate relationship with the term self-care but do think it's obviously a priority uh to care for yourself because you can't care for anyone else if you can't care for yourself um what about your thoughts elvis um i think it it has uh it 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 depends on on who we are i mean i think that self-care in a harm reduction setting or in in a field where you're working with people directly, I think has a different, um, a different look or a different feel than when you're talking about, you know, your average individual. For instance, for somebody who's working with the homeless populations and addictions and HIV and AIDS, and even even uh, in 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 police work, you know, I think that self care looks a little bit different. And some of them require more, uh, a, more of a response than others. I, I'm a big believer that police officers should be, there should be a mandate of some sort that they have to get therapy or at least be in counseling when they have to respond to a murder or a horrific crime scene where children are involved or something like that. And there's no mandate right now that they have to go and seek counseling. As where with us and and when we're working with somebody who's suffering from substance use disorder, and you know, unfortunately we do lose people. It 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 has an impact and it takes its toll. But I think ours tends to be more of a buildup of harm, where somebody like in somebody who's in the police force or somebody who's in the fire department or EMTs, their impact is a lot more direct and and forceful because it it's like pow right in your face at the time that it happens not that we haven't seen those things either i mean as well because we have seen some horrific things but i just think that the approach is different i tend to agree with you but i would also say the impact of doing the work that i know you and i do and have done um although not on the side of murder or fire can definitely be um, very much, 
you know, a consistent, you know, drum uh, that, you know, is a part of your, your daily operation. We always have to be on our toes. We always have to be re- able to respond. Um, I think some people do that better than others. And I think acknowledgement of that, like knowledge of self is really important uh, when you consider um, how you take care of yourself and therefore how you, you know, take care of others. Um, I think none of this is, you know, monolithic. Um, I don't think that there is a cookie cutter way to say what self-care is for one person or one group of people compared to others. Um, I will note that I do think that, you know, it's important that folks use resources that they do have. And I think there's a question sometimes on, you know, if folks maximize resources as well as they could to practice, you know, their own care and therefore their ability to care for others. And also, I think that there's a toll to be taken when you don't practice care to the point where you're at a burnout stage. Um, Because eventually, if you do too much, you know, what people these days call self-care, you can also take away from the self-care of, especially if you're working at an agency or working with, you know, partners, you could also take away, uh, you know, from the self-care of others by you practicing self-care. So I think there's a difference between like, you know, being responsible um, and practicing self-care and practicing self-care irresponsibly, like, you know, throwing caution to the wind at all times and then burn yourself out to the point where now folks who already have, you know, a fuller plate um, are now made to have to pick up the slack because, you know, the self-care wasn't practiced on an incremental level. And now it's here on a large scale, you know, there is no choice but to practice self-care level. Um, So I think there's a balance that needs to be had and it's a hard thing to negotiate. Um, It's why we are having, you know, those hard conversations around a topic like this, because it's one that I think we regularly bring up uh, in conversations that we have amongst each other. Yeah. I mean, that, that I agree. I think that um, it is kind of interesting because everyone has a different level. Some people, you know, can sit somewhere and read for a little while and that, and that helps. And then there are some individuals who need that vacation. And I think that um, we have situations where somebody might go, for instance, uh, two, three months, six months, eight months straight working and not take a break. And you have those individuals who, you know, at the end of every day, oh, I need self-care. Oh, it's, you know, it's too much for me. And I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that, you know, some people take it on the chin for a while. They're, they're able to, to, to work through it and, and, and a little, a little more, um, I'm, I can't think of the word, but they're basically a lot stronger to deal with the issue at the, t- and, at, at the moment than others. So it does look different for other people. It can be, I mean, now I was reading something that talked about harm reduction as self-harm, where in the process of somebody trying to reduce harm amongst with themselves as part of self-care, turn to substance use, turn to using drugs or alcohol 
as a way of coping or as a way of, of um, relaxing or, or even, even, even just meditating. And after a while it becomes, it becomes an issue for them. And it's um, one of those things that I always say is that there's nothing wrong with you having a drink. If you're drinking, you know, you're being social and you're hanging out and you just, you know, you, it's just the act of you guys hanging out and having a drink. There is something wrong if the reason that you're drinking is because you're depressed or you're stressed or you can't deal with the everyday things that are happening because that's no longer just socially drinking. That's now self-medicating. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you know? definitely. Um, and then I think, you know, what also come, you know, pulls into question is the need to regularly self-care is one that I think all of us support. But- if you have to practice self-care because everything that, you know, happens is something that causes a pause, knowing that in certain circumstances, you know, the requirements of what you're doing doesn't allow for those pauses. I think it's important to self-reflect on whether it's a healthy environment for you to be operating in on a regular basis, because... Mm -hmm you can't help anybody if you can't help yourself, but, um, and no buts, you can't help anybody. If you can't help yourself, uh, you have to know if you're someone that is like a high impact individual when it comes to dealing with things, or you're someone who, you know, maybe needs a little bit more for lack of a better word, chill in their environment. And maybe it's too hectic. Um, I certainly think that there are some people in the medical field, in the social services field, um, in the business world um, that are really, you know, I don't want to say high strung, but I think are used to the different, you know, um, responses and the different triggers and different things that happen uh, in their world and are able to respond to it. And, you know, I think have, you know, disappointments and have, you know, good moments and, and bad moments and kind of keep themselves centered. Um, yeah. And obviously still practice some form of self-care that's good enough to make get them through the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. And then there's other folks um, that I think struggle with that a little bit more. And you can be coached through it um, and you can try to practice that self-care, but reflection about whether it's a healthy environment for you, I think is absolutely necessary because, um, you know, you don't want to be someplace where you're consistently feeling like you have to check out. You should, um, I think, enjoy what you're doing. Um, certainly respect the value of what you're doing and not feel like you have to consistently run away from what you're doing. Yeah. I think there should always be um, a level of, of balance. And I, I wonder how much it, it uh, depends on the, in, how much responsibility is on the individual and how much uh, uh, responsibility falls within the, um, the administration, the entity that you work for to make sure that there is some kind of balance. I mean, I don't think that your boss or your agency can force you to, you know, meditate at home or light candles or read or do something like that. But to create an environment where 
there is some some balance because um i i think that there's there are some of us who the more difficult the job becomes the more emotional or um what's the word i'm looking for the more caught up we are in what's happening the more we invest into that job and a lot of times it's like we we do it at the ex- at the uh at the expense of a life outside of the work including relationships and you know trips and vacations and just time for yourselves you know i caught myself last year um where i i bought a a fishing license and at the beginning of the year of in the beginning of covid it went in the january january of 2020 i bought a fishing license and I didn't use it once. And and I think it was August. We had some really, really hot days and I was going fishing. And the first thing I thought about is, oh, it's, you know, it's super hot. People in Kensington need water. Dehydration contributes to overdose. And I ended up buying four or five cases of water and a couple of bags of ice. And I spent the day handing out water bottles, you know, and it's like, I, I can't, I couldn't turn it off. I'm constantly on 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 work mode and sometimes we need to be able to create that balance where you say you know what i'm not doing anything today i'm going to lounge around i'm going to watch some cooking shows or i'm going to read a book or i'm going to go take a walk in the woods or i'm going to take a drive to the shore whatever whatever it takes to bring some type of peace of mind back to the person is important for the person to be able to do but also um it's okay to do that. You know, remind the, we need to remind ourselves that it's okay for you to take a day off and 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 take care of you even though you you know the rest of the world is still going to hell in a handbasket but <laughs> you know and and I think that's where the tough I think for us that's where the tough part comes in that we find we I, I think sometimes we feel guilty when we take time for ourselves because it comes at the expense of we could have done more. You know, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, back to your, you know, point around like, you know, administration versus individual, you know, I think the individual obviously, you know, is the only person that knows like what that barometer is as far as, you know, how much is too much and and when is it time to pull back. I do think that the administration, you know, has a responsibility to provide a comfort level to feel like you can take that, you know, um, self-care, you know, moment when you need it. Um, I think it's around like building capacity, um, capacity and like, you know, sometimes comes in like the amount of people that you have as backups. Um, it comes in, you know, like doing, you know, benefits for people, um, who are you're working for or who are, who are working for you. Um, it can be, uh, incentives. Uh, it can be, um, just overall feeling good, um, about, you know, the fact that you, you know, feel mentally that you're supported. I know a lot of times, you know, personally, um, you know, I would love to, you know, take off, but, um, you know, you feel like, you know, you want to get something done. And if it's a question of, you know, getting something done and knowing that it's done right, 
compared to leaving it uh, up in the air, you wind up, you know, because you want to, you know, serve the people you work with and work for in the best capacity possible, you, you want to be on the ground doing the work. Now, I'm yeah. not someone who, you know, personally feels like, you know, I am on the edge of burnout uh, very often at all. Um, but I do recognize that my um, strength as a practitioner um, is my ability to, uh, I think, make lemonade out of lemons um, more often than some people that, you know, I share spaces with. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to, you know, recognize that. Um, but it does take its toll. It does take its toll as far as like, you know, being what I would consider a lifer to, you know, my trade and, uh, the barriers, whether it's real or made up that that creates around, um, relationships outside of, uh, my job setting, um, having priorities to be available when others aren't, because I know the difference between um, what it's like to not have uh, versus other folks. Um, but I think it's also about, you know, as you know, our, our show implies having those hard conversations with people around you. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, not trying to do things on your own, you know, but so often. So, you know, it's, a, it's about talking, you know, to folks about filling in for you. It's about building them up, giving them opportunities for empowerment, um, the ability to take the reins, the ability to try and fail. Um, yeah. If you don't give folks that opportunity, then they'll never know and you'll never know. And you'll consistently put yourself through the grind sometimes unnecessarily. Yeah, it's interesting because it reminds me of um, the '90s when we dealt with HIV and AIDS as a as a pandemic or as a a huge problem within our community. That um, you know, we we saw ourselves in a similar situation. We were overwhelmed with the amount of people that were dying because most people didn't make it past five years, three to five years. You know, people were dying, so we went through caseloads. Uh, uh, unfortunately through a lot of people in our caseloads. And there was an organization called Siloam who developed a program specifically for people who worked in the field of either counseling, uh, HIV counseling and testing and giving out results, positive results to people. And it was a free service where you can go there anytime you wanted. You could schedule an appointment and go. And they did meditation. They used to do massages. Um, I mean, it was it was like this this environment that they created where you could come and literally unwind and just have a wusa moment. Um, and they were around for years. I mean, it was something that was necessary and it was a free service to people who worked in the field. And I wonder if we're at a point where something like that needs to be recreated again for, you know, just uh, individuals working with people with substance use disorder and and um and the you know just the the everyday things that we're dealing with now with overdoses and um the homelessness issues because a lot of this a lot of the i think a lot of the frustration 
is not only, you know, because yeah, it's devastating when we lose somebody. But the the I think that one of the you know that we don't just suffer from the trauma of the people that we lose. We we suffer from the impact that we have because we we work within a system that is designed to fail the very people that we're trying to serve. You know, and it's like constantly pushing a giant rock uphill, and you know, and 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 trying to get it to the top of the hill. Wow, there's somebody where there's a group of people on the other side pushing, pushing it back it down. down. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's how it feels. So it becomes overwhelming sometimes and, and people don't get it that it's not just the impact of death. Yeah. The impact of the people that die um, and the and the and even the impact of re- uh, reviving somebody who's overdosing and every single time we do a, a reversal, we don't know if that person is going to live or not. So for those minutes... We're struggling trying to bring somebody back to life, and we don't know if that person is or isn't going to make it. That in itself is traumatizing. But again, it's it's you know it's also the the overwhelm the things that people don't pay attention to, like the lack of services, the lack of access to treatment, you know, the continued the continued um, abuse of the population that we serve. The 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 what is it called the you know, they, they, they make them look less than, they treat them like less than. All, all these things play a part and they're overwhelming. And it's like, you know, a lot of times we don't even realize that it's impacting us because it's happened for so long that we have that, um, we, we're suffering from that syndrome that this is already acceptable. You know, um, it, it's, this is what it is. It's, it is what it is, you know. That's not going to change. So we just take it as everyday um, like normal, it's a normal thing today, you know, and, and we see it, we see it in the way that people walk past somebody who is laying on the ground that could have may or may not be overdosing. You know, I, I think 50 years ago, 60 years ago, somebody fell down and a crowd of people ran over to check on them. Or if somebody was laying on the ground, you know, they would, Hey, what's wrong with that person? Now they just step over them and keep walking, you know, and, and it's, it, it's a, it's the toll that that all this has taken on not only people who work in the field, but people who live in the communities that the that these you know that these that that we serve. So, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if there is a solution for a, a greater self care or a greater system, but I mean, I think it's something that in the near future somebody needs to look at. And see what can we do to create an environment? Because we've talked about, you know, we've talked about all the programs possible to help the communities that we serve. But there isn't a whole lot in place for the people who provide the services. And I'm wondering if that's a conversation that needs to be had also where, you know, what's going to happen to support the individuals? I mean, we did it right now during COVID with nurses and doctors. We realized the importance of these individuals. We realized the importance of the people who were still working restaurants during this. These were individuals that were taken for granted for a very long time. Um, and there was it was just a job. And then something happens like COVID, and they realize that these people are truly needed. You know, same thing with 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 prevention point and the harm reduction teams and the people that do this similar work 
with you know substance use disorder folks and the homeless that during COVID, we had options. We could have said, I'm going to stay home and work from home. And people would have died and 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 God knows what the, what it would look like right now. Or we could choose to say, no, I'm going to stay doing what I do because I know that there, this is important. And I think just acknowledging the need, the need to not only recognize that, but to have something in place to support the individuals that have been out there and that do the work that we do is something that needs to be considered. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. You, um, you know, spoke a lot. Uh, and so let me try to, you know, piece off a few pieces of it. Um, I definitely think that there is the audacity of privilege in a lot of people's world that, you know, makes them think that it's okay to treat people the way that our people have been treated regularly. And it's one thing if it happens on a larger systemic level from the higher ups who don't see it on a regular basis. I think the frustrating thing as a provider of services in the area is when it's from people who are in many ways walking in the same paths, you know, whether it's literally or figuratively as a lot of the people that we serve and they have the same attitude as some of the, um, higher ups, like I'm better than you because I have this one thing that you don't have. So instead of trying to lift you up, um, you know, I I, either I'm going to keep you down. uh, I may not kick you down, but I'm not going to, you know, try to lift you up or promote things that, you know, would help you get the help you need, like more resources in the community, for instance. Um, acknowledgement that, you know, what has been put on the table as a solution has not worked over a long period of time. And so what can we do to change, you know, the structures that we have? Um, I'm a never say never person. So I believe that slowly but surely, just like we've seen, I think more awareness around, let's say the harm reduction movement and its usefulness in practices like medical services, social services, and in general public health, um, as well as, you know, the war on drugs and the fact that it's been more war on people. Um, I think more people are acknowledging it than ever. Um, And I think that is an opening, um, particularly if you can get the people power Um, which we try to do consistently at Prevention Point um, through, you know, our staff, to our interns, to our volunteers, um, and through external outreach. The more people you can get on, you know, the side of everybody is human and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect is the more I think you can change the systems. Um, On Uh, Outside of harm reduction level, I think we're seeing it with how folks are trying to, uh, in many places, reorganize how they do policing. Um, The fact that they are asking for less, you know, cops on the ground and less militaristic strategies and practices, but more, you know, social services, more mental health services, more partnerships with organizations that are doing work on the ground that know how to do the work with people and not just police to people typically using, you know, weapons and or legal consequences 
uh, criminal justice system consequences as the endpoint of interactions with people. Um, so I, I think that there is a slow process for change uh, that is happening currently. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, it doesn't happen as fast as we all would like it to happen, at least, you know, those who are consistently fighting. And that's where the frustration comes in. Um, yeah. I think there's a reworking that needs to happen. Um, and I think there needs to be more emphasis on um, the challenges that are being faced, not only by community, um, but, you know, the people that are providing services. And, you know, as far as a service provider, I don't think that a lot of folks need a tremendous amount to feel uh, like they are, you know, feeling taken care of. Um, I think it was a big deal for, you know, the medical professionals and, and the first responders to consistently see as they were going through their daily activities, especially during COVID, that they were appreciated by the larger you know, public. I yeah. mean, there were signs everywhere. It was on buses. It was on, you know, I-95, you know, or, you know, highway billboards. It was, you know, on TV. Uh, it was in all sorts of, you know, media. Um, even someone like myself, you know, when I could have, you know, done more work from home, um, you know, felt, you know, encouraged by knowing that, you know, first off, I was helping, you know, folks that had a lot more challenging lot than I have in general. And certainly uh, at that time or at this time, because it's still not over. Yeah. Um, but secondly, it was not going without acknowledgement from a larger, you know, group of people. Now, the, the, the thing that I want to see is, you know, can that happen more consistently and can it happen financially and through more policy um, actions, you know, um, not just for the service providers, but for the people. We have the solutions. We know that certain things work. And the frustrating thing about the work that we do and how we see people being treated is, you know, we always have to comment, well, that would make too much sense. <laughs> because despite, you know, what we know has been sound strategies as worked in other places, or even if it hasn't worked in other places, at least is putting a two plus two and making four, you know, solution together. And folks will just like turn their eye to it because of stigma, judgment, morality, um, sometimes obviously finances, like rather being reactive uh, and throwing, you know, millions of dollars away because, you know, they're just not used to being on the forefront of things. Um, they're only being made to find solutions after something catastrophic has happened. Yeah. How can we get folks to turn the corner from being reactive to being preventative Um you know, I think definitely speaks to not only individual self-care, but, you know, societal self-care. And I think we have a lot of folks that enjoy, you know, their backs up against the wall um, and finding solutions. I also think you have a lot of folks that like keeping, 
you know, the money tucked in their pockets and the time tucked in their pockets until, you know, it's the last minute. But that takes a toll on you physically and mentally. It takes the toll on the community, you know, physically and mentally. It makes people feel more desperate. And when people feel desperate, then people go out and try to accomplish what they need to not feel so desperate, even if it's for a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and that's why we're in the circumstances which we are right now. Um, less being reactive, more being preventive. And so people don't break down so that systems don't break down is where we need to strive to. Um, and, and I think that's going to be the challenge of our times. Um, you know, this country despite, you know, a place like Philadelphia being a very impoverished or the most impoverished major city and the Kensington zip code that we do a lot of our work in being a most impoverished zip code um, has a lot of things that you don't have to want for. Um, I can't say there's another community in Kensington or another community outside of Kensington that has access to food like Kensington has. I mean, at least as far as like prepared meals, you know, whether it's people coming in externally, whether it's service providers um, and programs that have been created specifically for COVID or more like step up to the plate program, um, or it's people that are just being kind and, you know, will give snacks out of their car or, you know, out of their, their, their trunk to make sure folks have the little thing that they need, but that's being reactive. That's not necessarily being preventive. It's a little bit of both on food because obviously, you know, you can't live if you don't eat consistently. But, you know, I think being reactive is um, understanding that, you know, we have to get to a place where we don't have to feed people on the streets. Yeah, well, I think it's more being, you know, I think that one of the problems we have in this country in general is that we've constantly been reactive instead of proactive. You know, and I think that's happened for a very long time. Um, what we see, yeah, like you said, it's a re, it's we're re, people are reacting to what they see. It's like the constant, hey, we're gonna go. I know what Kensington needs. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be cleaned. No, we need to give people services. We need to take care of. We need to figure out um, how do we grab, how do we get these individuals that are that are suffering out there into a better a better living situation, a better a healthier living situation. And I, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, some people don't see past the feeding. And what I mean by that is that they don't, they like, what can we do? What can we do? Oh, well, we can feed them. Yeah, we can. But there's enough people right now that I think if people got together and, and, um, literally united and said, we're not going to do this anymore. You're going to do, we, and approached the city and said, we need something done to be able to help these individuals. We need change. You know, I think it might be easier because, um, like you said, I think there's probably at this point, probably 15, easily 15, 20 groups that come out to feed and hand out clothes and, and you know, look after people and hand out Narcan. And, and there's all these small groups that are doing similar work, but it's all reactive. You know, we're reacting to the moment. We're reacting to the moment. And at some point we have to go beyond that and put things that are 
um, long term, you know, that are actually going to help people. And, and yeah. you know, it's unfortunate. No, uh, you know, I, I've started to say very recently, you know, a lot more. We don't need any more Band-Aids. We got a lot of Band-Aids that are going on and they're very well-intentioned Band-Aids. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're Band-Aids nonetheless. Um you know, we talk about handing out food, we're handing out food outdoors, we're handing out food, um, you know, under a tent, we're handing out food, you know, on flybys, you know, where you just pop up your trunk and, you know, pull out a paper towel and hand out a couple of slices of pizza. We know that there's been a problem in certain communities for generations. We know that homelessness is a problem. We know that you know, places to access meals is a problem. And yet we have not solved the problem as far as, you know, shelter and and long-term housing for people in those communities. That is, you know, a a large problem. Um, You know, like you said, I think next steps is, um, you know, organizing individuals who are doing the right things Um, trying to help people and saying, if you put your force into, like you said, actually pushing the envelope right on to your city council, your state reps, your mayor's table and saying, hey, you know, the Band-Aids are great for temporary solution, but the Band-Aids always peel off and fall on the ground or in the trash can, literally and figuratively, Mm -hmm. we need to organize and say, city of Philadelphia, you know, if eminent domain works particularly against poor people, how about for once it works for the working class and the and the the poverty class of folks, and you appropriate some of these structures you have in certain neighborhoods and make sure that no one, you know, willingly has to be on the street or unwillingly has to be on the street. Um, well, let's have well. let's have the soup kitchens available for folks indoors. Um, let, let's have the resources in the community, whether it hurts people's feelings. We don't, people aren't going to die on the streets on our watch because we are a larger, uh, hopefully a, a, a larger bastion of understanding that eye for eye is going to leave us both blind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's that type of communication and that type of outreach that happens, but it doesn't happen enough. I also feel like, you know, there are some challenges with trying to deal with folks who I think feel like what they're doing is enough and the next steps are a little bit too tough to navigate. Um, You know, I've been in committees where, you know, we've tried to outreach to some of the meal providers and say like, hey, you're doing it, but you're not doing it, you know, as organized. There are some things that you should bring to the table, like for instance, like places for folks to dispose of their food, dispose of their clothing, um, you know, using these type of materials instead of these type of materials, which are, you know, less harsh to the community or won't be left around in the community as easily. And sometimes you get pushed back from those, you know, individuals or groups that are doing it because they just want to do what they want to do, how they're doing it because they're trying to provide the service and that's all they want to do. The, the thinking ahead uh, is a little bit too complex for them. And yeah, that's, that's a problem as well. That's something that I was, that I was going to touch on because, you know, um, 
I think that that in a and I think we've I've gotten a little bit off track, but um, you know, they keep giving like there's in, uh, there's entities. I'm going to say there's entities that have gotten funding to do certain work with the communities that we serve, who have no clue how to work with those individuals or what is actually needed. It's that mentality of coming into a neighborhood or a community and not asking the community what is it that they want. Instead, looking from the outside and going, I know what they need. Let's provide this service. And then those that are on that are boots on the ground, front, you know, frontline doing the job are left scratching their heads, wondering why this why does this organization get funding for that? If they've never really worked with this community or this population, I mean, right now, prime example, I'll give you a prime example. SEPTA has a new program where they have police officers and supposedly social workers at the stations that are supposed to be doing outreach to get people into treatment and um, and off and into into shelters. And mind you, but, folks. Uh, SEPTA is the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority, yeah. uh, which is the major um, transportation service in the Philadelphia, in Philadelphia area. area. Cont- and continue, the, Elvis. And, and the sad part is that, you know, they mean well, but they're not likely to go and approach somebody on a regular basis who's laying on the ground or who's walking down the street. And it's like, you know, I mean, the observation so far has been that they they hang around and they talk with, amongst themselves. And if somebody happens to walk up or if somebody happens to point somebody out, they may go and talk to that person. But outreach, from my understanding and the work that we've done for years, outreach is where you actually go and you walk through the neighborhoods and you walk through the area and you you, you engage people directly, not you stand on a platform waiting to see if somebody shows up. You know, and this is the, this is, take it takes away completely from what harm reduction is, which basically is meeting people where they're at, not them meeting you where you're at. And I know that this is on another, on another topic, but I, I think that it's important because these are some of the things that stress us out and force us to even do, sometimes have to go back and either clean up the mess that has been left behind or do work and then we get the blame for it because, you know, harm reduction doesn't really work. You know, we've noticed that harm reduction doesn't work. No, it, it works. If you let it work, if you invest in it, it works. Invest. Invest. But if you fight against it and you invest against it, then yeah, there's going to be conflict and it's not going to work right. Yeah. You have to totally immerse yourself in the fact that you're, you know, it's not an abstinence only solution. Um, it's not a solution that is going to, you know, clean itself up um, or is is going to, you know, give you a direct result. It's a qualitative result less than, you know, as more than a quantitative result that you're looking for with harm reduction. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I think it's totally on on topic because. You know, when we talk about self-care as individuals, we have to talk about, the, you know, the fact that, like I said earlier, self-care to individuals can lead to a lack of self-care, uh, you know, from the larger, you know, group of people. And a part of that is because, you know, you have systems that you deal with and individuals that you deal with in systems that don't practice, you know, preventative 
you know, strategies and therefore self-care and wait until the last minute to do something when backs are against the wall. Uh, It made me look up a a quote, you know, that uh, Ben Franklin said, uh, which was, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, You know, I think that we know that, you know, there are things that, you know, can be done in communities um, that will help to alleviate the problems that we oftentimes get complaints about. You know, if you don't want people hanging out, you know, by a subway station or a elevated platform station, you know, with nothing to do, um, and you don't want open air using and, you know, sleeping and, eating food on the ground and you have the ability to put money into prevention um, as far as, you know, spaces for folks to go into to get off of the streets, whether that's during the daytime only or it's, you know, shelter or it's permanent housing and you're still not doing it and it's been years and years and years, then how close are you to actually wanting the the problem to be fixed. You know, you can't have solutions how you want it, when you want it, where you want it, because uh, obviously, A, most of the folks who are doing that type of complaining um, don't have the means to actually facilitate it. Um, And B, it just hasn't been fruitful even when it has been uh, a possibility. So try something different. and you and I, you and I already know, I mean, we've experienced it. We've seen it with our own eyes that a lot of times you have individuals who take on a position to help individuals either get into treatment or get into shelters or get services. And they don't interact with folks. They just hang around and wait for somebody to either send somebody in their direction or point somebody out literally who's asking for help. And then the sad part is that when they go back to their their bosses, they go, oh, nobody's interested. Nobody wants treatment. So there's this, this you know, I've had this discussion already several times at, at the health department level because, you know, they, they've said, oh, well, they were saying nobody's interested in treatment. Nobody wants help. That's not true. You know, we watch people just either sit in their vans or sit in a corner somewhere waiting for somebody to either send somebody to them or or bring some or find somebody who's actually interested in treatment before they interact with them. And again, I think that it, it's unfortunate because it's created this 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 narrative that the people that we serve just, just don't want they don't want the help. So that and that, that is, yeah. so that that kind of makes me think of another angle, which is we have to be careful with the gatekeepers to services that we put out there. Um, and so basically like the people that we hire, we, you know, in, in these fields, we have to make sure that they're actually uh, people that want to do the work because the yeah. less people that actually want to go and do the work and not just do the work because it's at a certain agency, not, not, not just do the work because it's a steady paycheck, not just do the work because they have a certain title. But folks that know that, you know, the difference between the work that they do is folks living or dying or having a higher quality life 
uh, of life or not having a high quality of life, um, you know, that's something that also needs to be brought in because that definitely takes a toll on people's ability to self-care or the need to self-care more often or the inability to take self-care time. If you're dealing yep. with folks, you know, whether it's like in-house or it's externally that you know aren't bringing it on a daily basis because they're, you know, checking in and checking out only when it is mandatory for them to do that. Um, that's very problematic. And, you know, you know, it's like we're in war and for some folks, it can feel like it's playtime. Um, and that's not helpful to the people. It's not helpful to the communities. It's not helpful to the fellow workers. So that's another thing that I think, you know, can get brought up certainly in the, in the realm of self-care, which is like, you know, the folks who are doing the work have to be really dedicated to doing the work. Um, and I don't know like what questions can come up. I mean, I know I'm a person you know, in my role, you know, with like volunteers and interns, I try to lay the land out, you know, pretty strongly. Like this is not a nine to five only job, you know, or, you know, yeah, this is not a nine to five job. This is a get stuff done job. Um, We are very flexible with you, but we also expect flexibility, you know, coming from your end of things. It can't be a take, 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 and never give, give, give type of circumstance. Um, you know, meeting people where they are is exactly just that. Like you said, you know, it's not a meet people where we want them to be. It's not, you know, I'll meet them where they are, you know, if they walk, you know, 30 feet over. It's like literally no, like being hands-on. Um, and, you know, this well, is not it's about building relationships. It's about yeah. building long-term relationships that will, you know, survive, you know, all the the drama and trauma that, you know, many of the folks we deal with go through because they know that the light at the end of the tunnel is, you know, the relationships they have with you and your, your organization and, uh, you know, you know, other providers uh, of service and help. If folks don't have that, then once again, I think folks get desperate and that's when things take a turn. And I think we see it, you know, in, you know, the violence that we're seeing currently uh, in the city and have seen in the city for many years, there's a neglect that's been felt. Um, And, you know, just like you have, you know, bad cops, you have, you know, bad social workers, you have bad administrators. Um, you know, there's not one position that's always going to shine and be, you know, perfect. Um, so you have to like, you know, I keep the foot on the, on the gas pedal, you know, when it comes to your evaluation of, you know, folks who are working, um, you know, and, and serving the communities, Um, And I would also say folks who are representing, you know, certain communities, because sometimes their intentions aren't where it should be. And they're letting their own bias and judgment stop progress uh, with problems that have been ongoing, but 
haven't really been changed through, um, I guess, ignorance and and sometimes just trying to hold their stance that sometimes is totally out of touch and out of time. Was that a Hall and yeah. Oates song? I'm out of touch. Okay, never mind. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I, it definitely is a song in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but um, no, I think we still got, we, you know, we got our, we definitely got our work cut out for us. And um, I just hope that, you know, this, this helps people. I hope people are able to get a little bit of understand, a better understanding of what it is that happens. And at the same time, just realize that it, it, it can be complex, but it's actually not when it comes to providing the services that we provide. And I just hope that um, this has been a eye opening or at least a, a, Pique the interest of some folks um, to be able to look at the communities differently, look at the work that's being done differently, open, um, have a better informed opinion when it comes to not only harm reduction, but substance use disorder, when it comes to homelessness, when it comes to people that work in the field with, you know, and why they do the work that they do, or why we do the work that we do, you know? So um, just to yeah. try to bring it to a close and yeah, uh, for the next I mean, one. I'll just add, you know, <laughs> I, I hope that folks recognize that self-care is not a one person thing. It definitely is something that's affected by many uh, yeah. Issues or many aspects, you know, there's the individual, but it's also the community around them. And that can be yep. the work community, that can be the the, the living community. Um, and that, you know, practicing self-care is something that's absolutely necessary in your own personal life. But also like being a good teammate is something that I think is absolutely necessary in, in your life. Being a good community member is something that's absolutely necessary uh, in your life. Um, and if you don't have one, it's hard to have the other. It's hard to have the other. Um, yes. and, and I hope that we walk through not only the individual self-care question, um, but also talked about how, uh, you know, self-care, um, is definitely, you know, either, you know, given or taken away from, um, having more support on all different levels. So like tying it back into harm reduction, tying it b back in more to the structures that we're seeing or not seeing happening for folks leads to folks feeling like either they need more self-care or feeling like they're fulfilled in self-care. Um, and that's a really important thing that we wanted to have, you know, another those hard conversation session about. So um, I think it's, you know, as good of a time to, you know, wrap it up. Um, I'm sure this is something that we're going to wind up uh, coming back uh, to and talking back, uh, talking about, and you know, uh, other scenarios and and at other times, but one that we wanted to to tackle because you know we're, we're both living it and experiencing it, and I know a lot of other folks are too. Um, you know, I'll just leave with that Ben Franklin, you know, quote once again, uh, which is, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We got to work towards, you know, being preventative so don't, that we don't have to be reactive. And that's on an individual level and that's on a societal level. 
and we need to push the envelope where we're not providing just band-aids for folks, not just temporary respite for folks, but long-term sustained change for folks. And we, if we know that things aren't working and haven't worked, we have to like stick our foot out the door and say, hey, I know it's raining outside, but I'm going to step outside for a little bit and try something new out of the comfort zone to get the results I want to see. And that means pushing back on those who are telling you, hey, this isn't going to work. What about this solution? What about this? This is going to happen if this happens. Well, what have we been doing that's actually worked and provide the solution? Because if it hasn't, then, you know, we need to buck that trend and try something brand new. Amen. All right, everyone. Uh, this was another episode of Those Hard Conversations. I'm Clayton Ruley. And I'm Elvis Rosado. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. Peace. Thanks for listening to THC. Follow us on Facebook at Those Hard Conversations. Or visit our website at thosehardconversations.com. Mm-hmm.